This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. So where are we? Sound levels. Yeah. Hello, Kate. How are you doing? I must say you're looking particularly neutral today. Now we're being recorded, so I can't give yeah, you my true and proper reply. <laughs> <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Yes. <laughs> And welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. Today, we will be talking about new books, of which there are many, value for money furniture, thought that would be topical, and Design crimes. Oh, we've got more. We have got a stack. (laughs) And we're recording at Sophie's house today, so I shall be reporting on whether she has committed the crime in question. I'll let you know. (laughs) I'm not sure she has. (laughs) I'm sure you'll find something. Oh, I will find something for sure. So, Kate. Yes. New books. We've got a little bevy of a stack here and also some printed off pdfs because it's that hot off the press so out of the so many new books that have come out we were slightly spoiled for choice but we have narrowed it down to a book by the instagrammer design soda ruthie ruth matthews called own your zone siobhan murphy more is more decor sarah jane axelby interior portraits emily henson create and marbling by zena shah is that five or four? I've lost count already. Are we on five books? That's this five is, books. This is like a mega, we usually only do three. Well, exactly. It's a mega, mega, mega book haul. Speak! <laughs> but it's a really nice time of year to treat yourself to a yeah. new book, I think. You know, this is the time of year where we're thinking perhaps of refreshing our home, getting new inspiration. Dare I say the C word? What? Got a little crimbo around the corner. So, oh, that uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> so some of these books could find on your Christmas wish list. It's a good haul. And we've got a good books. mixture. We've got some which deliver... Hard-hitting interior design advice. And so much of just nice bit of fun, creative escapism. So which one should we do first? Well, I've, I've got Ruthie's in front of me. Go on, So should we go. go with in that? You go. Own Your Zone. I love this book. Do you like the title? Own Your Zone. That's quite strong, isn't it? It's quite strong. But do you know what I like about it? It's a book that's got proper content. Mm. I've just had a bit of a flick through. And it's one of those books where you feel like there's something on every page that that is relevant or useful. And one of the things she talks about, which I think is so important in the introduction, is democratising design, why your house is a home, not a magazine. And it may feel 
like a statement of the bleen and obvious, but I think we've got so caught up in social media and looking at homes on Instagram that that I think we forget that we we have to you know furnish and decorate our places for us and not mm. not for Instagram. And so she talks about I think thirteen years ago. I'm just going to have to read it here that she used to read high-end interior magazines religiously when she started her blog. And she was very aware of products labelled price on application. Yeah, the old POA. It's a terrible thing. Step away from the POA. But I remember, probably not quite 13 years ago, I think we just moved into our old house. It was 12 years ago. And uh, seeing a copy of L Decoration land on the doorstep and there was a big tagline on it which said, you know, affordable shell, a deep dive into shelving. And I thought, this is brilliant. I've moved into a house with no storage. Let me up the shelving. That's how you get your kicks, isn't it, Watson Smith? There was not a shelf in that section that was less than £1,500. I was like, this, isn't, this is not, yeah, this is not shelving I can do business with, you know, bookshelf. Yes. It was, and so I totally get, you know, where Ruth is coming from with this, you know, that the this stuff is expensive. And, you know, she talks about her high-end tastes and a high street yeah, budget. Yeah, and yeah, how yeah. do we do it? You know, and she says here, and I'm, I'm reading it, I was bored of being affronted by magazine articles that told me a £200 dining chair was a bargain. Time six, this was my monthly net wage at the time. Never mind the budget for design. So I well understood that access and affordability are relative terms. And she then goes on, and I think this is really interesting, that the fields, how narrow the background is of a lot of interior designers, they come from the same sort of backgrounds. So they are deciding what's good taste because they're they're similar okay. people. And I think that's a really interesting point. You know, who's who's defining taste, yes. you know? And she says she began to wonder if there was a connection between the price of these professional courses that, you know, where you learn to be an interior designer and the, the people who can go on them. Right, so right, right. I think that's a really interesting starting point. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's well established, isn't it? That historically yeah. interior design has been really elitist and we were all made to believe that only wealthy people could afford an interior designer and what Ruthie's saying is only wealthy people could afford to train to be an interior yes, designer. So take it back even further. <laughs> yeah. But the, and I mean the book is beautiful. It's it's beautifully photographed. Well this is where I can chip in. Because okay. everybody Because you've not read the words, you've just looked You're at the pictures. You're a reader, I'm a flicker. And oh yes, mouth watering. Yeah. Mouth watering. She has lifted inspiration from all of my favourite Instagrammers are on there. There's loads of homes inside that I recognise, but she's picked out I mean she says <laughs> you know we shouldn't aspire to have magazine worthy interiors and then she's picked some of the most <laughs> magazine worthy <laughs> interiors of Instagram yes. but there we go we'll let that slide because we yeah. still look, like to look at nice clean houses um all the pictures and the sort of general vibe aesthetically from this book is well put together yeah it's not messy it's not shabby it's not shonky it's elegant it's actually elegant but punchy as well yeah. there's I'm pleased to report there's a lot of color in this yeah. book so I think it's if you like a well put together, well considered magazine worthy, I know Ruthie's going to help me for saying this, but that is what the book looks like. Yeah. Then, um, then it's nice. But and yet, because she's using Instagrammers and not interior designers' homes, it all feels it feel more very achievable, accessible. But yeah. She's actually it's it's rammed with with interesting advice, and I've just so yeah. What are we going to learn? Picked from this out book? a few. Well, 
we've all we've all been asked and we all talk about this notion of the red thread how you get the cohesiveness and flow in mm. your homes in your decor given that you do not want to paint every room the same color so she has quite a nice little trick i really like which is just imagine your house without any of the doorways and she's just saying if you think about that you then get a sense of how the rooms flow together and how they look because mm. you can see through all the spaces and then that helps you transition between the rooms so that if you have for example one room that's painted pink you don't want a second room that's painted pink but you might have some pink accessories in that other room and mm. of course if you didn't have a door you would see them so you're and quite often it's quite a good way are, to get that flow open, right? yeah. I mean interestingly we're sat here in my living room and I've got those sort of acid lemon yellow doors from my pale pink living room into my rich sort of lazuli living room. And I love the way that that bright pink looks with the pale pink in here, but I love it even more set against the blue of the hallway. So even painting your doorways a contrast makes a difference. But also really nice you idea. make that point, and obviously I'm pointing off camera for those of you who might be watching it on YouTube now. Um, you've got a cobalt blue hall and... Yet, as we sit here against the yellow door, you've got a lot of candles in that cobalt blue. blue so you have yeah. brought the hall colour through into here. So I, I like that idea. there's always a yellow idea. vase on the hallway yeah. table as well. And then she talks way. about punches of colour. And she, she likes the half-painted wall if you're feeling nervous about doing a whole room in a strong colour. But there's a great photograph in the book where someone has just painted across the top of the skirting board. So, I mean, it's literally an inch or two centimetres of Ooh. neon orange. And Ooh. it's a really nice little pop. And then she showed it juxtaposed with another room where there's a, a, a neon orange little stool that's been painted. So there's there's clever ideas. And I think one of the things, this is where we come back to the own your zone, is that there's been a lot of wall taking down in recent years. That's yeah. a conversation for another time. Are you a fan of walls or not? A lot of people living in open plan spaces. How do you zone that when you haven't got walls to paint? And one of her tips is if you've got a beam or the steel supporting joint, use that as where your colour changes. So you might do a tonal colour or you can do a different colour, but go up to that beam in the ceiling and make that your stopping point. So there's lots of practical advice and I feel like there's lots of advice that I haven't necessarily read Anywhere else. It feels imaginative, it feels interesting and it looks beautiful. This is a good book. Buy this book, everybody. Yes, you're a fan. I'm a fan. It gets the KWS big tick and I love the pictures. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Right, on to the next. Uh, Talk to me about Siobhan's book. More is more decor. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm going to love this. I think I'm you probably are. I'm mostly going to love this because I love Siobhan with all my heart. She is one of the best humans on the planet. She is one of my favourite people. She was runner-up on Interior Design Masters and her star has been... In the ascendant. Meteoric. Ever, meteoric. Ever since. She's um, got her own TV show, I think, in the pipeline. She pops up on Steph's Pack Lunch and her Instagram account just brings all the joy. So this is the book. And this basically goes to show that maximalism isn't just an interior decoration style. It's a way of life. Yes, it's a whole lifestyle. It's a whole yeah, lifestyle. Absolutely. This is, I think this, this is um, the kind of cell on the back, which I'll read out to give you a flavour. Are you ready to banish the beige, ditch the drab, 
and throw the interiors rule book out the window. Buckle up, <laughs> KWS. <laughs> she spent all morning telling me how beige and neutral I am. And now I'm getting shouted at by the blurb on a book. I mean, seriously. I tell you what, we are coming for you. Me and Siobhan, <laughs> pincer movement. Right, she says, come with me on a magical journey into the wonderful world of maximalism. I'll show you how to work elements of your wardrobe, perhaps not in your case, Kate, but we'll sidestep that. <laughs> Hobbies and passions into your home decor. Most importantly, I'll dispel the myths that are commonly associated with maximalism and encourage you to be fearless in your approach to interiors. It's time to find your confidence and curate a space that fills you with joy. I hope you enjoy the ride. Woohoo! And a ride! It, it is a ride. It is. Yes. I mean, this is, I mean, there's loads of great copy in here and tips, but really for me, this is a visual feast. Every page is laden in drenched colour, style. Well, even the tips. pages of the book are. Oh, there's not even a white page. There's not a white page in this book. There's not a white page. Cerise Pink, Pistachio. You're going to see loads of your favourite Instagrammers in here, as well as um, fashion stylists. Funnily enough, I'm not in it. Funny enough, I can't not. think why. Well, I am though. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm in it. I wrote a little section for the. But yeah, there's Jonathan Adler's in here. Iris Apple. You know all the kind of like people you would expect uh, to see. Some of her fellow uh, design masters. Old Paula Sutton, of course. Hill House Vintage. So- well, those are the modern influences. What mm. I liked about it was that she's gone back to the sort of I can't remember the phrase, but the the sort of original influences, if you like. And she's she's looking at Liberace yeah, and his. She's got Elvis Presley and Graceland. I love that because we never sort of throw it back to that. And that's what I think is really, you know, I love that section of the book. Let's have a look at at this. Liberace's there in a frothy hot tub with a couple of gold swan neck taps. Surrounded by gold. There's cherubs a go-go. Yeah. Fabulous. Um, It is, honestly, this is such a joyous uplifting uh, book and if anybody can write a book like this Siobhan completely can because like I said she completely lives and breathes what what I like about that is that you know we talk a lot about the rigor of interior designs or knowing the rules so you can break them and I think what Siobhan is saying is that if you love it if it's a piece of you then it will work just do it and she's absolutely testament to that she does what she loves she owns it and it works because she has complete confidence in what she's done and you know and she's not classically trained she's Let's not, not classically remember trained. i'm going to be honest in, with you yes. it's a bit much for me in 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 places um you know you would be surprised if i said said it wasn't but i completely admire that you know, she is telling her story through her decor, through her dress. It is completely true to her. And whether you like that style or you like a bit less, the key takeaway is that make it you. Yes. As long as it is your truth and tells your story, you won't go wrong and just have the confidence to own it. Okay. Shall we move on? Yes, yes. <laughs> Great fun. Congratulations, Siobhan. I love this book. It is a joy. And if you've got any fellow maximalists in your life, life, pop that under their tree. They're going to love it. I can't believe you're actually talking about the C word. I thought it was a joke. (laughs) Which one should we do now? We're going to create next, aren't we? Emily Henson's new book. She's written lots of books. She's an interior stylist, super successful. And she's just moved, I think, to Margate. She's moved out of London and she's doing up a bungalow in Margate. So you can find that and follow along. 
Um, the book is called Create, Inspiring Homes That Value Creativity Before Consumption. I mean, we are, that's we're a in, title we? for now, we're isn't in, it? We're Absolutely, in. we're in. And I'm going to hold it here. And for those of you who are watching, I mean, that's... It's a gorgeous book. Gorgeous. I mean, what you can rely on and... with Emily, because her background as a, as a photo shoot stylist, she's got a great eye. I mean, a lot of the projects that are photographed for this book are people's homes. Yeah. But she's got a great eye. And I think overall, actually, it's quite interesting aesthetically. You know, we've already talked about Ruth's book and Siobhan's book, and they have a very strong visual presence. This does too. Um, and, you know, our, our other really best-selling books of Emily's, I'm thinking of like the Bohemian book she yeah. did. She's got a much more boho, rustic, This is, I love ready. this. Yeah. It's muted, it's soft pinks, it's I mean, rich even if creams, there is it's slightly it's... vintage wood that's a bit distressed. A lot of texture. It's a lot of a Her interiors, in yes. there, isn't there? So Ruth Matthews' book is much it's quite tidier you feel like the cushions are are, are more lined up whereas Emily's aesthetic would be to have the same amount of cushions but they'd be slightly jiggled or a bit mm. squashed as if somebody mm. just got up um and and there'd be a sheepskin rug underneath them so it's it's if you it's have more, more of a if you have more of a boho sensibility yeah. a little but bit I, more it's a beautiful book I love all these colors these soft colors but I think this book's also got real heart and I think again is really really timely you know she talks about decorating in a creative and conscious way um it's another book that's going to help you find your own style for sure but I think have a flick through the pictures and you'll know what that style's likely going to be and sort of helps you find out a way of going about it again it's packed through loads and loads of good advice I particularly love her paragraph about decorating slowly she says once you embrace the mindset of slow decorating you'll find that your style emerges organically over time living in a space that is unfinished leaves the door open allowing inspiration to strike and ideas to evolve often costly mistakes can be avoided by simply taking your time and she says this is written from a desk amid a building site in my own new house and she makes that point as well which which yes decorating slowly is a really good idea the other thing and I think this is a real mental problem for people about balancing the cost of what to buy with getting it right and she says just forget that idea of the the forever home. Yeah, I love that Even concept. if you think you never want to move again, forget it. Because as soon as you say, this is my forever home, this is the last kitchen sink I'm ever going to buy, <laughs> you're paralysed yeah. by getting it wrong, you know, because you're constantly looking for the perfect one. And we all know you go 10 years down the line and you're still using a bucket in the kitchen because you haven't been able to commit. So just park that and, you know, don't look for perfection and allow things to change. And we were talking before we started recording, weren't we, about colour and, and me doing my new house. And everybody says, you know, when you move into a new house, you should just either paint it white or live with it for a year and get to understand it and see what the house wants and it will talk to you. And, you know, that's a very noble idea in principle. But most of us don't want to live in something that 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 doesn't suit us or that is ugly or dilapidated for a long time. And there's a lot to be said for just finding a colour you like, maybe in cheap paint and just slapping it on the walls mm. a bit while you find your way round. Do I need to move a wall or how am I going to make it work? When we moved into our last house, which was rental flats that we had to convert back into a single dwelling. So obviously we had to do some decor. We painted it all in a kind of warm off-white and I loved it. I thought that would be it. But actually, 
as the house, the rooms were completed and the storage was built, the colour crept in. And I ended up, as you know, anyone who follows me on Instagram will know, with these deep, dark chocolate mm. walls and a pink bedroom and a dark green bathroom. So the the colour will find you. And yet if you think, I've got to find my forever colour right now, mm. you'll never paint anything. Well, I've, and this is the sort of mantra I think that Emily's going with is take your time. And this allows in creativity. This book called Create is all about creative interiors. For her as well, that's about being quite organic, make do and mendy, yeah. um, mismatched. Um, these are, This is all the essence of the book. I love here where she talks about creative contrast. I think this is a really nice concept. She says, some of the most memorable homes I've visited over the years are those with a playful approach to contrast, coupling new with old, handmade and chain store, pop of colour set against neutrals. It's experimental and intriguing and personal. All the things I love. So I think that's, again, about not using the recipe, not going by the rule book, not being too tight. Being well, and I think it's it's free. about that, that mismatching thing is really interesting because we've spoken before about, you know, not having a three-piece suite. You know, it's about that sort of, it's the antithesis of kind of add to cart. It's like, I like that chair, so I'm going to buy that chair, but I'll just buy one for budget or because they've only got one in that colour or because I'm not sure if I like it enough to have three matching. And then you buy another chair at a later date that goes with it because you trust your instinct to like sort of colours that work together. So you build it up over time. And that's also how you create a home. I, I never forget years ago going to visit someone's house and they, they'd they wanted everything new for their new house. And it never worked because it just had that feeling that they'd gone around the virtual shop and, mm. and just added, I'll have three of those and two of those and a couple of those and one of those and there's a rug and there's some curtains and Bob's your uncle done. And yes. they put it in a room. And it felt very two-dimensional, I Well, imagine. and it only ever was going to look like a shop showroom. Yeah. You don't have to be panicked if you think you're not a creative person. If you don't work in a creative field and you worry that you're not a creative person, you need to kind of let that go because just buying things over time that you've taken the time to think about whether you like them and how you will use them, that will be your creativity. Mm. And that is how you will create a home that has a vibe that is you. I think it is. I think this is what this book's about. It's good vibe decorating. Yeah. You get the good vibes from the photography. And again, I love her soulful way of writing. Here she says, supplementing new pieces with some reclaimed or repurposed items is better than doing nothing. Decorating this way allows a huge amount of freedom. Freedom to buy that random vintage sculpture at a charity shop because you know it would look brilliant on your modern box shelf. Freedom to put a too small lampshade on a too big lamp just because you like it that way. Freedom to hang a lilac sink on a mint green tiled wall purely because you're bored of ubiquitous white metro tiled bathrooms. She says, our homes are the one place where we can freely express ourselves, our creativity, our ingenuity, without fear of judgment. So get mixing. Oh, love that. I love it. And, and I think actually all three of these books are in their very different ways and very different styles from that sort of clean grown up elegance to the maximalist riot to a more sort of modern rustic feel three very different books but the message coming through from all of them is similar and that is just trust yourself mm. trust yourself you know what you like so put it in your home and if you don't there's a book to buy
that'll help yeah. you find it. Yeah, <laughs> find your style. Or if you don't like it, or if some, if you don't like something, but you felt you had to have it, or it's been there for too long, get rid of it. Yes. You know, trade it, swap it, yes. and get something that you do love. They're, they're, all the books have the same message there, and that's a, it's a good message. It's a good message. Right, slight gear change with this yes. next book. This is S.J. Axelby's Interior Portraits. Now... I met Sarah on Instagram. She had a brilliant lockdown project um, on her Instagram account called uh, Room Portrait Club. And she made a pack to paint a room portrait, which is something that she she goes into why she paints portraits, but it's very therapeutic for her. And she made a commitment to do one a week. And I think I was one of the first rooms that she painted. So I feel particularly proud to have got in on the action. But since then, she's just gone stellar with this. And she created this club and everybody else was encouraged to paint a picture of their home and share it on Instagram. And it was so much fun. And there is so this is a book with no photography. I counted 89 different interior designers that she's featured in this book it could oh. be 90 because i like a round number but i think it's 89 oh, no, i'm in there and you I'm in. are in here amongst you know many other greats ben pentreath's in here uh Salvinson graham's in here who are rita koenig's in here luke edward hall's in here uh kit kemp who again i think started lots of big thing. names but also lots of names i i you don't, you don't know as well yeah and, and it's that'll be me when everyone UK else is a bit transatlantic as well yeah. mainly uk but i know that there are some american designers in here all fairly maximalist in their sensibility i think it's safe to say there's no minimalist interior well there's a lot because i think clearly when you're painting a portrait you want something to go you at don't stuff, you and you painting a, a, a white minimal box is is not going to be an interesting picture she did a a portrait of my office which she took from instagram and had a photograph of it so for those of you who don't remember in the last house it had very dark rich walls that were panelled and it had a pink velvet armchair and a zebra carpet it was it was my maximalist room actually it was very small so she's painted these rooms beautifully and then there's a little interview about you know what do you like about this room and what colours you've used and it's it's just a lovely book I tell you what I, I love it so first of all her art is gorgeous it's a real celebration of beautiful interiors and also let's remember as well that this isn't new this sort of portraiture I mean we're so used to like photography and dare I say it sketch up and when do you know what I mean that's cad drawing cad drawings but actually as she says in her introduction the history of uh, room portraiture fascinates her its earliest form in the 17th century it served to document the contents of a room for example, a library or a collection of art or objets. It then became the fashion in England and Europe for aristocrats to commission portraits to showcase their homes, a status symbol, if you like. Um, and then obviously architects over time went on to have watercolours made of the interiors they designed. And, ev- you know, while the cleverest creatives now are all using all these whiz-bang wallop, you know, computer programmes, I think there's still a real beautiful charm in a painterly Oh, I think it's lovely to see a room. We're used to looking at the sort of stark detail of photography and particularly on social media where you can pinch in and zoom and and examine all the details and actually seeing it rendered through, if you take that, that notion that the camera never lies, you're seeing it through an artist's eye, you're seeing it through a more subjective eye, it's their interpretation of your room. And it's just lovely to see it, you know, for me to see, I've seen my office on my own Instagram account, you know, a million times and it has been featured in the odd magazine as part of book promo or something but to see it rendered in paint there's it's just something it's got more soul hasn't it yes don't you think so 
that so the art is unquestionably gorgeous and I think it's just a lovely resurrection of this craftsmanship mm. if you like this yeah. skill the other thing I really like this book is is the interviews as you touched yeah. on um and these little gems so she's gone to lots and lots of really established uh interior designers and interviewed them for all kinds of like hints and tips I thought I'd pull pull some out so for example Kath Kidston um has been interviewed uh, her favourite colour combo at the moment is red and pink. I can get on board with that. Yeah. Um, best styling tip. Add little hints of colour in a room. It could be a dish or a vase and flowers. Small things like that can add a huge difference in lifting a room. Vicky Charles, obviously of the Soho House fame. Vicky Charles was Soho House's interior designer for 20 years. I think she could have designed for some um, significant royalty as well. I get the uh, word she, on the street. Yes. She did the uh, Sussex. Not the Sussex, it's the Cambridges, I think I she believe. might have done the Clooney's as and well. And the Clooney's. But she now, then she set up her own business and I believe she works with Mrs. James Corden. Yes. And actually, one of my dearest oldest friends and ex-housemate works for her. So I sh- we should get a scoop, shouldn't we? Should we, we should the- have that oh, let's interview. Do that. Let's, let's post-note that. Anyway, um, what I love, <laughs> her interview is quite short and to the point. Busy woman. Yeah. What's your design approach? Listening. Nice. Quick fix for room transformation. Clean it. I thought that was genius. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I could go on. I it's think, a lovely again, book. It's a lovely book. It's a treaty book. And again, I think would look lovely under the tree for someone special. So for our final book, which I think sort of follows the thread of craft mm-hmm. and lovely gifts to put under the tree, um, is the book Marbling by Zena Shah. Now, I follow Zena on Instagram because she's all the joy and all the colour. All the colour. She's a genuinely lovely human. And uh, she used to be a textile designer, illustrator, stylist, teacher, art director, prop maker. She's now a content creator. Need I go on? All round creative whirlwind. And she's brought out this book, which is a how-to on marbling techniques. You can marble a cushion cover, your own stationery, picture frames. I've seen it on stationery. I've not seen it done on fabric, yeah. actually. Interesting. No, there's lots and lots of creative projects. So if you're somebody who likes a creative project... I'm not looking at you at this point. No, don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> then I think this is a really lovely book. And we know that more and more people are drawn towards spending time meditatively, mm. creating beautiful things for their home. So I thought it was worth a mention. The other reason why I thought it was a mention, not just because I love Zena and I love her colour palette and I love, I'm not sure I'm going to get marbling anytime soon. It does sound, I mean, I've had, I've read the book. There is a, that you're not just slopping this stuff around. There are techniques. No, I think I'd very much like to watch someone marbling. I think that would be very restful, watching the sort of colours move through the oil. I'm here for that. I mean, do you remember doing it at school? I remember doing it at 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 school in the art lessons. Did you never get to do that? Never got to but do I, marbling well, there you go. well, listen, never say never. But what I want, the other reason why I wanted to touch on it is it's a really big trend. Yeah. You know, the sort of marbled wallpapers. Was it Custom who did the wallpapers? I'm trying to think of that brand that did the amazing marbled wallpaper at like a thousand pounds a square meter or something. They're incredible. Through to, uh, you know, Beate Hoyman's with her fabrics. Yeah. Susie Bellamy's done it as well. The lampshades, the sort of marbled lampshades we're seeing. So I think... And a lack of trays. I'm spotting it everywhere, but it can be quite expensive. So if you can do a bit of DIY, 
Well, and there's all sorts of places where you can learn to make a lampshade, aren't there? I mean, it's moving on. We've had that whole kind of Charleston thing where it's painting lampshades and mm. painting fabric and painting pelmets. And this is that similar idea of getting, creating your own bespoke interiors so it's not off the peg. And this is using marbling as a technique. To and do I it. should probably say what it is. So, marbling method is an aqueous surface pattern design that mimics natural stone. So, it's got a kind of random to it it's kind of like yeah it's kind of magic in its uniqueness I suppose but w when you start, start marbling with inks and paints you're open to all the other colours and that's another section in the book she goes into the colour theory the colour wheel so you even you're learning not just a technique you're I learning like a colour. book that teaches you, you do, something you're going to be learning all about that but I thought the other thing that's quite interesting was the fact that marbling is pretty old school dating back all the way to the 12th century no less is it first, Italian? I feel like it would come from Venice or oh, something. I See, I love quizzing you on stuff like this. <laughs> well, first reference to have been practised by artisans in Japan. Oh, wow. Well. Says that said it's likely to have originated much earlier than this because the techniques were kept very secretive. And so it's very difficult to trace the craft's true origin since it was rarely documented, which is quite interesting. But she says it's most well-known in Italy. There you go. So oh, well, there you go. That. You've got that as well as Persia, Turkey, India. And another uh, and other countries in its various papery forms. It's a stationary thing, isn't it, in Italy? Because I think Sky McAlpine, the mm. inside covers of her cookery books, oh, yes, are marbled, marbled, and she obviously grew up in Venice. So I think maybe that's where I found that connection. Yeah. Well, oh, well I want my next book to have a marbled cover well, now, there you go. and we have to do it myself. Clearly, I have to buy the book and learn how to do it myself. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So our next topic is exploring the concept of really getting value for money out of our furniture. Now, Kate, I know this is something that you have given a particular amount of thought to lately. I suppose for lots of different reasons, the house move, you're in the position of perhaps purchasing some new pieces for your home. But I think also continuing on with the thread that you know, sustainability counts. We've got to get rid of our throwaway culture. This is a conversation that continues, continues. I mean, let's face it, we've never perhaps been more conscious of our pennies yep. than we are right now. So I thought it'd be really interesting for you to share, because this is kind of your brain baby, if you like, of a different way of thinking about the purchases that we make for our interiors. Well, yes. I mean, I think the point is, you know, we, we all know we've been in our homes a lot more over the last few years. Our homes are have to be much more multifunctional than they've ever been. There might be more people in them for more of the day, and yet they probably haven't got any bigger. And against that is the backdrop of you need new furniture. But to come back to Emily's uh you know, the myth of the forever home, you can be paralysed by buying a piece of furniture and thinking, you know, has this got to last forever? I've got to justify the cost of it, you know. And I'm, I'm, I always bring interior design and purchases back 
to this notion of the wardrobe. You know, we do it for colours. We Everybody talks about it now with colour. We're really comfortable with the idea that, you know, if you like dressing in it, then there's a good chance you would be happy to live in it because that's your sort of palette. And I think you can take that a bit further. And it's not just about multifunctional furniture, which is good, but it's about trying to identify those pieces that you can love for a long time. Like adaptable. Is it about adapting? I don't think it has to be adaptable, but it's maybe using them in different rooms. So the, the, the fashion analogy, and I think the, the fashion people will often tell you that when you see a new top or a new dress or you need a new pair of trousers, whether, you know, there's a fine line between need and want, and that's not for now. But when you are buying something to wear, you should really be thinking... From a sustainability point of view, am I going to wear it 30 times? But the other point is, can I make at least three outfits out of it? Mm. If you can make three different outfits out of that one new top, then it's a piece that can take up space in your wardrobe. And I like that analogy for furniture. So when you're buying... Is this like from the office to the party? Is it that kind of outfit? Has any, have you ever gone from an office you know to a party what? and it's, changed your clothes? Do you know what? Because I saw something on this on Instagram the other day. It said, I've been preparing my whole life yeah. to wear an outfit that takes me from the office to a party and I'm still still <laughs> happy. And, and I spent years carrying a whole load of makeup around because you've got to do your makeup from day to night. Never happens. Put on a bit of lip salve in the cab. Jobs are good. So no, it's not that. It's not that at all. You. It's brilliant. the idea of buying, for example, an armchair that goes beautifully in your sitting room and that's what you need in your sitting room right Mm. now. Mm. But it is perhaps in a shape or a style that if you move house and you end up with a bigger bedroom than you thought that will fit well in your bedroom or that will go in a spare room. I haven't got got like an orb which is going to tell me what my future house is going to look like. But it's just if you love that piece of furniture. So if you're buying a stool, Mm. stools are always great examples because a stool can be extra seating. Our producer Kate's just off camera now. She's sitting on on a a stool stool Which I use as a side table. You were using it as a side table. You could have that pull it into the kitchen as an extra if an extra person yes, turns up yes. for supper it can go into your bedroom as a bedside table yes. so it's about those pieces the of furniture there yes. you go with well, your glass stool of wine is the ultimate stool is Multi. the ultimate but you can you can take that's, that that's your black trouser suit isn't it well oh, the stool is your black trouser <laughs> there you go um but it works with actually tables as well small mm. tables which you might in a small flat that might be your dining table where you can sit two or four people if you move that might later be become your kid's crafting table Mm. or it might become a desk Mm. or you might have a console table which you know I fantasize about a hall wide enough for a console table I I hear they exist but have you never had a console table I never had a hall wide enough for a console table but that narrow table can go behind the sofa with lamps and magazines on it and it looks nice could be a dressing table could be a dressing table could go in the hall and could also go in a kitchen as a small table slash breakfast bar if you Mm. haven't got room for the full table so it's not obviously not every piece of furniture can do this but it's just trying to think is it like creating um, your own little bundle of heirloom furniture sort of thing yeah it's your package of your furniture so so there's the purpose of it then there is the look of it yeah okay so is it about investing in a style that's like 
for example, I know you always say mid-century goes with everything. It goes in Victorian houses, it goes in modern houses, it yeah. sort of crosses the eras, if you like. Um, so do you have to think about that with your multi... No, I think it comes back to which has been the, the thread, if you like, of this whole episode is is buying a piece you love, but just thinking, could I could I reimagine this somewhere else? You know, there's a shelving unit which I need in my sitting room, but could I, in years to come, perhaps have it in a bedroom and store my pants in it? Or, you know, could it work for shoes or would it work in a different place for books? It's not, it's just thinking about whether it's got a life beyond that immediate that moment. moment. And so whether you could make more, as it were, outfits from that piece of furniture. And it's, again... Moving away from the throwaway culture, it's not necessarily about spending a fortune, but it's about spending well. So if you're going so to buy a chair, it's about too. quality. Okay. If you're going to buy a chair, is it well enough made that you could reupholster it down the line and change the colours? Is it made of natural wood so that you could, could repair it, pe- repair it mm. or paint it yeah, so or I strip like this, it back? I like this idea, the idea of furniture being for want of a better word adaptable or recycled upcycled or whatever yeah so if something's made of formica for example it's not so easy to paint it or put a treatment on it whereas wooden furniture is really easy to reimagine with paint and different handles and all that kind of stuff Absolutely. And you've got, I mean, I had a little chair, which my mother used to sit on to read me a bedtime story. And it was blue, I remember very clearly against my William Morris curtains. And then, you know, I, I had it in my bedroom and painted it green. And then, you know, I sat on it to read, read my kids bedtime stories, and it was red. And Mm. so I think it's, but uh, equally, at any point, I could have sanded it back to the natural wood. Mm. So it's, I think it's it's about natural materials. That's what we're kind of branding this. There we go. Does anybody actually ever do that? By what way. a capsule wardrobe? Yeah, do you have a capsule wardrobe? No, I read about it a lot. But... <laughs> Maybe we'll find it easier to do it in interiors. Yeah, I'm I, but I totally think I could do it in interiors. I totally identified the twelve pieces of furniture well, my, for your capsule my furniture capsule collection. My capsule wardrobe but... is about twenty pairs of Nike Max and lots of jeans. That's kind of what it is. I used to have a lot of Breton stripy tops. That used to another, but I can't bear to do that anymore. But that used to be part of my capsule wardrobe. Jeans, chainers and a stripy top. Jeans, chainers and a stripy top. <laughs> stripy top. But yeah, well, we're not talking about your Breton tops. We are talking about how to just think about what you're buying so that you can buy cleverly and buy pieces you will love forever and can move around anywhere different you or live or can be reimagined yeah. at any point it's me being super super practical yes we know that you lovely listeners will have tons of tips and tricks to share about your capsule furniture collection so do come and find us on instagram where i'm sophie robinson interiors and she's mad about the house and of course don't forget the great indoors podcast group on facebook just don't mention the washing up <laughs> <laughs> But we're talking. <laughs> I'm gonna snort as well. I can't remember. Washing up bowls was a design crime. So for this week's design They're crime, not. I've got one. They are not a design crime. Oh, just because you've got one, it's not a design crime. No. Oh, I see how it is. Very oh, I useful. see how this podcast They're goes now. I've got They're it in my house. Useful. Therefore, it's not a crime. If I had one in my house, you'd tell me it was a crime. I'm getting you one for Christmas. Oh no, I've ruined. I probably won't have a kitchen sink. <laughs> <laughs> So what have you got for us this week's so design crime? This week's design crime, 
actually was voted by you. You've forgotten already. No, yes. You voted this one in the shower curtain. So, Kate, this what is it about shower curtains? And well, is it a design crime? This is an interesting one because there there may have been a bit of change of thought. <laughs> um, okay, so what was the starting? Point? So my starting point was I cannot bear shower curtains. Right. Um, especially when they're over baths because they wrap themselves around you, they cling to you, they try and assassinate you, you're trying to fight your way out past the dampness, you're pulling the thing off the wall, it's just a disaster. And? Mould. Yes. There you go. They're horrible. We've all been in student accommodation, haven't we? And we're all Uh, slightly traumatised by the student bathroom with the shower curtain. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because if you've got a bath, a sort of traditional bath that that goes against the wall, a fitted bath, Mm. then... You could have, although I appreciate it's much more expensive, a glass screen. Or in a well, this is what replaced the shower curtain because it used that used to be your only option if you didn't have room for the shower screen or indeed the budget because that's how yeah they're expensive. You have the accordion shower partition, which is made of glass, but then goes and like accordion closes. You remember those? I do not. But oh I'm, my god, accordion well, shower bring those screens. Back. Yes, so that was kind of in place of the the shower curtain if you haven't got room to have a screen and then not be able to get into the bath. But but so so it's a, sometimes you can't kind of help it because your bathroom lends yourself in oh, that which direction. Is the position you find yourself in. The position I find myself in. Well, now I was going to say before we talk about the position I am currently in. There's been a lot of attempts over the years to reinvent the shower curtain. Right. And so you now can get beautiful fabric shower curtains which look great from the outside and then you hang a, a liner, don't you? So it's There's waterproof. There's not that many of those. There's not that many of those. What you can do is buy a plain white one from, you know, John, good old John Lewis or whatever and make a shower curtain out of your own preferred fabric. Yeah. Whereby the shower plastic shower curtain does the job of keeping the water yeah. inside the shower tray. But the fabric curtain on the outside looks really, really pretty. Does the looking. I did this in our last flat. I had that option. It just, you just got potentially two bits of fabric to go mouldy is the only caveat with that. It's difficult, say, in isn't a wet it? room. Yeah. Depends what your ventilation's like. But so I, I've been firmly in the shower curtain as design crime. Having Camp. said that, just before we move on as well, the quality of shower curtains yes, is hugely variable. Is hugely variable. And quality really counts with a good shower yeah. curtain. Yeah. Especially when it comes to that thing. You know when the air kind of sucks it towards you? If yes, it's a really light the, flimsy one. Yeah. So go for a nice that's the heavy crime. go for yeah. a nice heavy one. And then the other thing I would say is the printed patterns available. And shower curtains is much better than it's ever been. So you can get some really nice jazzy designs. Does that just hide the mould though? Because you can't see it so much. It's on a white one. You <laughs> I know, I mean, I think with some of them now as well, they're like woven fabrics and you can bung them in the washing machine. I think they've come on a bit since. And I think you need to days. hang them to air, you know, leaving mm. them sort of yes. stuck against the side of the bath <laughs> where there's nowhere to hold. But oh, you're painting a I, I was going to talk about how I may have had a change of heart come on, on then, this because obviously you know, we've moved into this new house mm. and, you know, it's a bit smaller than the last one. And we are going to need to redo the bathroom. And upstairs, there is a bath with a shower over it. It's a power shower. A power shower. A power shower? It's very noisy and they're very expensive to run. And the water just trickles out of it. Not a lot of power. So we've slightly abandoned that. And downstairs, there is a, a perfectly good shower that works quite well. But it's a shower. It's a small shower in a small space. And it's got a slidey... A slidey door across it. And because it's small, the slidey door doesn't open very far. And I went in on the first day and my first thought was, if I put on any weight, I can't... (laughs) 
can't wash in here. You like, do not want to get stuck in the shower. I'm like Winnie the Pooh when he goes to have tea with Rabbit. I'm like stuck in the shower. I'm never coming out. And I thought, well, that's just me. Don't be ridiculous. I'm just a bit tired and emotional. And then about half an hour later, my husband came out. He went in the shower and he came out and he went, oh, he said, that's a bit tight. <laughs> so then he's, and I said, well, what are we going to do? Because, you know, we have to redo this. This, this bath was installed 20, the shower room was installed 20 years ago. Yes. You know, it's a bit tired and needs redoing. And he said, it's fine. He said, we'll have a shower curtain. Ooh. And I said, don't be ridiculous. We've got to have a shower curtain. And then I thought, ooh, we'd have the space. Yes. We'd have the space to put on all the weight we wanted. Because <laughs> you'd have the space. Yeah. But the bathroom would feel more space. Yeah, no, but that means you I could eat, I could eat cake. More space. <laughs> I could eat cake and still have a shower. Because, and then suddenly you think, is a shower curtain a design crime? Or is it a supremely practical solution to a small shower? Discuss. <laughs> what a bombshell. What a bombshell. Well, I think if... A, a shower curtain for the purpose of letting you eat loads of cake and get so big that you can only just get into your bathroom perhaps <laughs> means we should keep it as a design crime just for your own <laughs> for my own safety for your own cardiac health or whatever I think they can look lovely and actually there are lots of really beautiful hotels and interior design spaces who, yeah. do, a, who do a shower curtain very very elegantly and also showers and bathrooms are traditionally places of you know hard tiles hard yeah, surfaces straight lines they do bring yeah. a, a bit of softness to and it. And for me, it's a fabric. It's an opportunity for colour and patterns. And if you're in a flat, I mean, the first flat we lived in, the bath, the bathroom was internal. So there was no window. Ooh. So there was no, I mean, that's a whole separate issue. Perfect. But it also meant nowhere for a curtain. For yes, exactly that. <laughs> oh, well, there is that. But I was coming back to your fabric yes. thing. You know, if you haven't got a window to put a curtain or a blind over, you'll, you know, a shower curtain. I think... Yeah, I don't think they're a design crime. I think if you don't keep them clean and let them go mouldy, that's a design crime. If you buy the really cheap rubbishy ones mm -hmm. and they, like you say, waft towards you and try and attack you mid-shower, I think it can be done. I think a shower curtain can be done mm -hmm. elegantly if it's designed with well. purpose. But I am confident that our listeners will have thoughts will have thoughts I think curtains. they will have thoughts I would poise yourself for that Facebook group debate so tell us what you think guilty or not guilty and of course do tell us what you consider to be design crimes yourself there's of course our Facebook group our Instagram and even our email address thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com so no excuse for not getting in touch Next time, we will be answering your style surgery questions. So send them over. And for now, thanks so much to our producers, Kate Taylor and Sarah Cudden of Feast Collective. And thank you so much to you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors. Bye. Oh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so busy looking at myself on camera. Now we've got video. I know. I'm so busy I know. gazing at myself in the mirror. Right. I'm just realising I wasn't sitting up straight.